Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's Friday, May 6th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. UFOs continue to be in the news as classified briefings have begun on Capitol Hill. But some lawmakers are frustrated, saying that intelligence agencies are not taking it seriously enough. Lawmakers see these sightings as national security issues and want more analysts and surveillance systems dedicated to finding the origins of these aircrafts instead of just more reports of sightings. Brian Bender, senior national correspondent at Politico, joins us for what we know about these briefings. Next, the war in Ukraine continues as Russia keeps intensifying its attacks on multiple fronts. On the cyber front, however, Russia has not been able to make the impact it had hoped. Ukraine has managed to stay online with the help of Elon Musk's Starlink terminals, crowdsourced intelligence collection, and even deployed facial recognition programs to identify captured or killed Russian soldiers. Justin Ling, contributor to Wired, joins us for the ongoing digital battle. Finally, a check-in on the gig economy as we are in the next phase of the pandemic. A rebound in travel has led Uber to post revenue at a 136% increase from pandemic lows. On the other side of things, companies like Instacart are having a tough time finding their footing as people are ordering less groceries to be delivered. Kellen Browning, tech reporter at the New York Times, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And also to do more investigation to try and figure out where they're coming from. And are they easily explainable? Are they drones? Are they some foreign adversary that's spying on us? Or is it some truly breakthrough technology? Joining us now is Brian Bender, senior national correspondent at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Glad to be here. Well, I love a good story about UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomenon. That's what they're calling them now. You know, we've been getting a lot of action on it. Uh, there's a, a report that came out from the, the Pentagon. You know, lawmakers are starting to get briefed now on Capitol Hill. It doesn't seem like many of them are very impressed at what they're getting. They say uh, the national security agencies might not be taking it seriously enough right now. So we are seeing uh, members of the Senate Intelligence and the Armed Services Committees getting classified reports. And, you know, what they're looking for is they want more analysis, more surveillance systems of what's going on to try to determine the origins of what these UFOs are, not just more reports of sightings, things like that. So, Brian, tell us uh, what the lawmakers have been briefed on recently, you know, as, as much as we know, and some of the dissatisfaction that's going on. Well, this all stems from new legislation that Congress passed and President Biden signed in December, directing the Pentagon and 
intelligence agencies could collect more data on these so-called unidentified aerial phenomena, and also to do more investigation to try and figure out where they're coming from. And are they easily explainable? Are they drones? Are they some foreign adversary that's spying on us? Or is it some truly breakthrough technology? And so far, you know, the key members of Congress, leading members who were really pushed the bureaucracy to take this more seriously, express some dissatisfaction that they don't think four to five months later, um, the Pentagon is really answering the mail on this. They're supposed to set up a new office. They're supposed to dedicate more personnel, more resources to this, including, you know, more intelligence collection capabilities, whether it's satellites or radar, et cetera. And so the briefings themselves are secret. So we don't know exactly what they're being told in terms of new sightings or new intrusions into military or government airspace. But we do know that the progress reports that the Congress has gotten on how they're carrying out the new legislation have not gone over very well so far. And um, so that was sort of the big takeaway, which is some real frustration that in the view of some lawmakers, the Pentagon and others are still not taking this seriously enough. So we're hearing from uh, senators like Kirsten Gillibrand, Marco Rubio. Uh, there was another senator who said that you know they don't even trust uh, the Pentagon. They think they're hiding some information. What are we hearing out of them specifically? Yeah, well, Senator Gillibrand, Senator Rubio, both on the Intelligence Committee. Gillibrand is also a senior member of the Armed Services Committee. She chairs the Personnel Subcommittee. They've both been very public about this. There are other members that have been less public but have expressed, you know, a real interest in this subject behind closed doors. The quote you're referring to is actually a congressman in the House, Tim Burchett from Tennessee, who has also become much more of a public advocate here for doing more, investigating more. He represents constituents who work at Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee, which is, if you look in the old all the archives of UFO reports of yore, that sort of comes up a lot as a place where there have been lots of kind of odd occurrences that people have reported. And so he's taken an interest in it. You know, there's not, I wouldn't say there's a groundswell in Congress, but I think what we really have seen is a turning point where you have some very influential political leaders who are very publicly saying, we don't know what these things are, or at least some of them, we don't know what they are. And that's kind of been how the conversation around UFOs, the UAPs, have has really changed recently, right? If these things are happening, if pilots, you know, trained Navy men, you know, things that we've seen in these videos recently, people that are out there in the field, if they're observing this stuff, what is it exactly? Is it a technology? Is it uh, another country with something, these capabilities that we don't have? So really, that's where the big focus is on and, and, and trying to get it on this national security side of things. Right. Or, or, you know, is it one of ours? I mean, most, virtually every source that I've been able to talk to, whether in Congress or inside the government or someone who used to work in the government that had some purview over this subject, they will all say, we don't think these are ours. In other words, it's not some secret, deep, dark, classified program, you know, where we're testing some new aircraft that is way beyond what we've ever seen. But, you know, you can't rule that out. I mean, some people will say... That's still a possibility. In other words, so secret, so well kept, that even the intelligence committees, even the senior leaders of the military 
don't know about them. And obviously that would be a huge story too, because it would effectively <laughs> right. be a government, a government within a government where there's no oversight by the taxpayers, representatives. And so, you know, I, I think that's still in the view of some a possibility, but, but you're right. The national security argument really has sort of taken over this debate. And I think also helped it become a little more mainstream. I mean, you don't sound so crazy if you're like, hey, are these the Chinese? Is this some foreign adversary that might be threatening us as opposed to is this advanced civilization from far away? And, uh, and so, you know, as one force of mine always says, if these sightings were of craft that had Russian or Chinese markings on them, the Pentagon would be running around like a chicken without its head trying to figure out how did they do that? But because we don't know what a lot of them are, it sort of kind of falls through the cracks where people are like, well, you know, Maybe it's something, maybe it's not. We don't really know. I mean, the good news is they don't appear to be threatening. Brian Bender, Senior National Correspondent at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Russia had been successful in years prior in taking out electricity systems, in going after you know government uh, systems and websites and institutions, and it just didn't happen this time. Joining us now is Justin Ling, investigative journalist and contributor to Wired. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, let's talk a little bit about the war in Ukraine right now. It's uh, still continuing. It's been going on for more than two months. Uh, I mean, it's gone on longer than most people initially expected, right? People thought Russia was going to come in, mm. destroy them, and we'd be moving on to a much different story. But due to the resilience of the Ukrainian people and all the help that they've been getting from the West, the U.S., and all the allies, I mean, they've been holding their own pretty well right now. But they've been getting battered on multiple fronts still. And one of the interesting things is this whole area of cyber security, cyber warfare, uh, another area where people thought Russia was just going to dominate them. But Ukraine has been holding their own there as well. So, Justin, tell us a little bit more about what's going on there. 
Yeah, so let's, let's set the stage about where we kind of expected things to go at the very beginning of this war. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of folks who follow this, and I would count myself amongst them, who I think had a very reasonable guess that when this war broke out, Russia would use cyber as a uh, sort of a cudgel to, to, to beat Ukraine down as they launched, you know, the you know, first round of airstrikes and then obviously ground forces. I should say there was a handful of people who said, you know, maybe we're overestimating Russia's ability here, but but at the very least, I think the majority of us who know anything about um, you know cyber warfare uh, and, and Russia's cyber operations would have at least guessed that this would have been a central part of, of Russia's plan. They would have been pretty successful at it. Over the last number of years, Russian cyber operations, uh, which kind of encompasses a whole bunch of things from you know the the official quasi-official GRU hacking teams, uh, which is one of their main you know intelligence agencies, to sort of a quasi-arms length. Uh, you know, hacker groups like Fancy Bear to, you know, a whole bunch of uh, of criminals across the country who do cyber attacks. We assume that all of these things, you know, which constitutes Russia's cyber capacity would take aim at every manner of, of Ukrainian society, knocking off the internet, knocking off the electricity grid, targeting uh, official you know, government institutions, and it would you know, sow chaos. This is what we expected. We, you know, I think there was varying degrees of, of folks who thought it would be devastating versus those who thought it would just be disruptive. But we all thought it would be pretty serious. As the early days and weeks went on, we just didn't see any of this, right? You know, Russia had been successful in years prior in taking out electricity systems, in going after you know government uh, systems at websites and institutions, and. It just didn't happen this time. And we were all kind of scratching our heads. You know, there was a speculation that maybe Russia wants to keep Ukraine online so everyone can see the devastation. Maybe part of their information operations game is that they want everyone to see what's happening. But as this has dragged on and Russia's uh, war has gone from bad to worse and they've been frustrated and stuck in the mud, their systems have been captured, they've been been losing uh, soldiers uh, left, right and center. Ukraine has mounted this huge resistance. We still haven't seen it. And we've finally pieced it together and finally started listening to what Kiev has been saying, which is that Ukraine just got a lot better at defending themselves and in some cases fighting back. There's a bunch of reasons for that, but yeah. So they've been doing a lot of very interesting things. One of the things, they deployed a facial recognition program in their Clearview AI, which we've heard a lot about in the US. But for them, they're using it to identify captured and killed Russian soldiers to use that information uh, uh, on multiple fronts to notify the families what's going on, to show everybody Mm -hmm. what's happening. Elon Musk's Starlink's internet terminals have been keeping them Mm -hmm. online as well. And then they're crowdsourcing a lot of this intelligence collection, keeping the atrocities front of mind for everybody to see, both there domestically for Russians and for the rest of the world. You know, all of these things have been a a huge kind of info operations PR coup for Ukraine. I mean, you know, the fact that they're able to identify these soldiers, many of whom are conscripts, many of whom you have families who didn't even know they were in Ukraine. The fact that the Ukrainian government is able to identify those soldiers and reach out to their family members on social media, through email, whatever. It's pretty, you know, it it may yet backfire. We don't really know how, how effective that will be in weakening Russian resolve, but it's pretty incredible futuristic, almost dystopian ability for them. 
the fact that they have deployed these Starlink terminals, um, you know, really kind of in an agile way, really flexibly, um, shows how you know just how geared up they were for this, right? You know, they, and they have these Starlink terminals thanks to Elon Musk, thanks to the U.S. government, thanks to the EU. Uh, but they've been dispatching them at a you know incredibly fast rate. And you know, I, I spoke to uh, Mikhaila Fedorov, who's the Minister of Digital Transformation for Ukraine, who told me you know that Russia may well want to block these things, but they're actually devised in such a way that makes it very, very hard to intercept or jam their signal. So Russia's having a real devil of a time trying to get them offline. Fedorov said that Russia had managed to sell uh, shell one of those Starlink terminals and knock it offline, but it looks like it was just one. Uh, yeah. They have 10,000 of these things that they say will keep the entire country online. So, you know, all of the, it, it, it really is a massive, huge effort that, that pulls in all of these technologies into this, this war zone that we, I, I think a lot of people thought it would be, you know, years and years, maybe a decade or more before we saw some of this technology really get used in the battle space. But here it is all coming together and proving remarkably effective. Justin Ling, investigative journalist and contributor to Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Even though uh, people are maybe uh, ordering food a little bit less and and are able to go back to restaurants, they're still seeing good demand for their uh, restaurant delivery business. But but really what we're seeing and where a lot of that revenue is being generated is from the ride business itself. Joining us now is Kellen Browning, tech reporter at The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Kellen. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's talk about the gig economy and how it's been recovering or not doing so good since the pandemic. this kind of shift in the pandemic, you know, obviously a lot more people are going out and and getting back to work and shopping and playing and doing everything that we tried to do before. We have two stories of how this is shaping up. One has to do with Uber, Uh, you know, a rebound of travel has increased their revenue 136% from the low of the pandemic. And then Instacart grocery delivery, this is actually taking a hit now that people are actually going back and, and doing that shopping for themselves. So Kellen, let's start off with Uber. Tell us what's going on with them. They had $6.9 billion in revenue in the first quarter. Sure. Yeah, they are continuing to do better. I think during the height of the pandemic, when people were sheltering in place and not uh, going outside as much, not traveling as much, they saw a big hit to their mobility or, or riders business, just people going in UberXs. Uh, and now as the economy goes a little bit back to normal, people are emerging from their pandemic uh, isolation. They're seeing more rides, which obviously is, is good for their business. Uh, and even though uh, people are maybe Uh, ordering food a little bit less and and are able to go back to restaurants, they're still seeing good demand for their uh, restaurant delivery business. But but really what we're seeing and where a lot of that revenue is being generated is from the ride business itself. How do we see the drivers faring for Uber? Gas prices for many have been sort of the last straw. And a lot of gig drivers, not just in Uber, but working for Lyft or DoorDash or other companies, have said for a long time it's been difficult to to make a, a living uh, having to pay for their own expenses uh, and doing this but having rising gas prices now making it even that much more difficult and, and some had staged protests some had said that they were gonna quit uh, driving for the platforms or cut back their hours to some extent but that being said uber has said that they are not having any issues with uh, supply of drivers and like you said they did institute a fuel surcharge to help 
drivers stay on the roads and, and, and continue making money. Uh, Lyft, though, did have a big issue. They reported this week um, that they were still struggling to get drivers to come back on to the platform. Uh, part of that is because of the gas prices, and part of it, uh, they said, was just because of uh, the Omicron surge. And when demand tails off, drivers leave. And when demand picks back up again quickly, it, it takes a little bit longer for drivers to come back. But they're really struggling there, Uber a little bit less so. Grocery deliveries, where Instacart was their thing, they're uh, having a tough time really finding themselves after this. So, you know, I, I would have to say inflation probably has a lot to do with it here too, because people are more conscious of what they're buying. And why would they pay a premium for delivery and, and groceries when you know they're trying to cut costs as they can already? So they're having a tough time coming back. Like I said, when you're in the pandemic and everyone's sheltering in place, you're maybe not taking an Uber ride somewhere, but you might want to get someone to bring your groceries to you. And now we're seeing sort of the opposite effects, um, in particular, last the second quarter or so of last calendar year. So right in the you know late spring, early summer, when people were starting to emerge from lockdown, that's when Instacart, uh, based on our reporting, uh, really started to see its sales slow down as people just decided to go back to grocery stores themselves. And we've seen a lot of, you know, quote unquote, pandemic winners, uh, companies that you know, the whole, whole business model was based around catering to people that were stuck inside. We've seen a lot of those companies struggle as things have got back to normal. We've, we've looked at Peloton and Zoom and uh, Netflix and Instacart seems to be another one that is sort of searching for a direction. Basically, they, they say that right. things are good and that they have a plan in place, but it, there's certain certainly uh, some uncertainty there. And a lot of these grocery businesses, you know, they'll set up their own warehouses with their own produce and whatnot so they can service their customers a lot faster. Instacart's not necessarily doing that. They're doubling down more on their partnerships, advertising and sharing analytics with their grocers to keep those relationships going that way. Instacart has said that they are remaining committed to working with their grocery partners. They view themselves as the, the good guy and, and the, to, to groceries, uh, grocery stores and, and other companies that are buying their own groceries from wholesalers and, and competing with the grocery stores. Those are, you know, they consider the, the bad guys. But the thing is, a lot of the grocery executives and, and people I've talked to don't necessarily see it that way. They remain a little bit wary of Instacart and are unsure whether this is the right thing for them in the long term. Maybe it's better these grocery companies feel like to just deal with customers themselves kind of cut out instacart and do their own grocery delivery kellen browning tech reporter at the new york times thank you very much for joining us thank you that's it for today join us on social media at daily dive pod on both twitter and instagram leave us a comment Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 